Second Kings chapter two and verse number nine reads like this. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Welcome to Double Portion Podcast. I owe my life to you in every way. For you have paid the price for me. Welcome back, Double Portion. We're excited to have you with us here tonight. Tonight is going to be the first part of a series that we are going to call Distinctions. And so we're excited to have you with us. Before we get into that, though, I do want to say thank you to all of our listeners, all of our subscribers, all of our followers. The page is doing incredible. All of our pages, all of our social media outlets are doing incredible. And we thank you for that. And uh, we are getting feedback, not just via social media, but by text, people texting and emailing saying that they are listening and that is why we do this we want to be a help we want to be a a blessing to somebody so we appreciate all of that feedback we would ask tonight that if you like this then share it with somebody share it on your social media page so that it will help someone else and and we can grow this thing so we can Spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world. I'm excited to bring to you this subject that we are going to be talking about, distinctions. We're going to go into a four-part series of distinctions. And we're going to talk about the, the vast differences between us and what we have titled the world or the secular world as we know it. As many of us know, the religious world has turned to what has been labeled a seeker-friendly experience. And so they will overlook a lot of what is written in the Bible, plain black and white, and they will overlook it for the, for the sake of, of what they say, trying to win the masses. However, uh, when you look in the Bible, Jesus tells us that there are two separate roads. He said that there is a broad way and wide is the gate that leadeth to destruction. He said, many there be that walk therein. And then he said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth to eternal life. And uh, as we know, there are few that find that path. Um, When you look at that word straight, it doesn't just simply mean straight as in, in one direction. It is actually an old English word. It is spelled S T. R-A-I-T, without the G-H. For many of you that are great spellers, I'm going to take you down the road of spelling tonight. But it's an old English word, 
and it actually means a closed-in place. And many commentaries would make reference to it as, as it being a narrow pathway that seemingly is hard to find. And so when you find this straight and narrow way, it's very imperative that you walk in that way. And so I believe that many of the distinctions that we are going to talk about in the next few weeks are the pathway to righteousness. And we would be unashamed and unabashed to say that these are essential to salvation. They are not afterthoughts. They are not preferences. They are not things that uh, some man has decided whether or not we do them. They are plain in the Word of God. So I'm excited about it. I know you're going to enjoy it. And uh, I'm going to turn this over very quickly to Bishop. And then we're going to get into the Word of God tonight. So God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Brother Jeffrey. And and again, welcome back all of our double portion family and nation. We're delighted to see you. And uh, we cannot tell you how much we look forward to these times of of spending uh, important time in the Word of God. And so I know I was redundant with the word time there, but uh, forgive me, I haven't had a donut today. We're looking at the distinction of God's people, and there are several things that we could, I mean, we could spend uh, several lessons just on why we chose this subject and chose uh, the the title of this subject and distinction. But uh, the way I want to introduce what we're going to talk about tonight is that in the scripture, I mean, from the very beginning, even before God began to specifically use the nation of Israel, uh, even though he dealt with all of humanity in general, he never dealt with the people according to the opinion of the masses. Excuse me. And this is kind of foreign to us here in America because we are uh, an independent nation and we experience freedom like very few other people in the world experience freedom. And so uh, when there is the subject of discipleship. Uh, if we're not careful, uh, we just assume that we can go off of the popular opinion. This has become even more prevalent because of social media and the power of of how that other human beings around us affect us. And God created us that way. We're a gregarious people, uh, even into the, our very makeup. Uh, what we see will affect who we are. And so because of that, uh, you see an encroachment on the specificity of who we are. There's you a $3 word in a 50 cent world. But... Uh, we are a chosen people. We are a peculiar people. That doesn't mean we're weird. That means that we are God's people. 
And from the very beginning, God used specifically Adam and Eve. Obviously, there was no crowd there. Then from there, he moved to uh, uh, Seth. And from Seth, uh, the people degenerated into wickedness. The sons of Cain, I feel like, were the ones that really influenced the world to go into wickedness. And in all of that, God found one man in his family that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God has always used a remnant. And uh, I don't know why that is, because he is so powerful. And when you read the history, uh, God always wins. And he always wins with the remnant. He does not in, He does not win with the popular opinion. He does not win with the uh, prevailing political currents. He wins through people's obedience to him and them being his covenant children and him being their covenant God. And he shows himself mightily that way. Uh, so, uh, he eventually did that with Israel, uh, who was his, the, the New Testament said he, that children of Israel were, were his church in the wilderness, the ones that were called out. They were called out of Egypt. He brought them into the promised land. He established them and their specific distinction with all of the nations of the world surrounding them. We see that in the fight that's going on today. Almost every nation around them hates them and wants to annihilate them, and God fights for them constantly. He does that for his church. We are his people. We have the same favor and the same blessing and promise from God that he gave to Abraham. We have it as his church because Galatians chapter 3 says that through the cross of Jesus Christ. He has given us the blessings and the promises of Abraham. So it's a wonderful thing to be a part of the church, to have repented of our sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, and been filled with the Holy Ghost. This calls for the distinction of us being his children, being his his body in the world today. And Christ has a specific identity that he wants the world to see that is him. Uh, to make it simple, that identity is a holy identity. Peter makes this very clear in First Peter chapter 2 where he says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people. You should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, and which in time past were not a people, but now are the people which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I don't know if I quoted that exactly right, but it's pretty close. I think I missed one thing there. But uh, this is extremely important that we realize that we are not like the nations around us. We are not like the people around us. We are God's people. We are his covenant people. And there is a specific identity that, that reveals to the world Number one, Jesus Christ. And number two, we are his children, or we are the children of, of the Lord. So uh, there are many ways that the Bible explains how that happens 
And Jesus, in his initial establishing of his church, says, if any man be my disciple, let him deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. So there is a cross that we carry. And that cross is the distinction of denying ourself and following Christ. Uh, there is specific identity. There is the inside uh, change of the child of God, where God, his spirit comes and revives us through receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And some people stop there, but there is an outside identity change as well. We no longer look like the world. We no longer talk like the world. We no longer go where the world goes. We no longer do what the world does. We become His. We are set apart. We are sanctified. That word sanctified means that we are specifically used in in His kingdom. Sanctification means that there is a specific use for us and a specific identity that we, who we are. There are many ways that we could uh, talk about how this happens, uh, and, and we want to try to get to all of those. Yeah, we're going to try to do it in four, four lessons. I don't know that's pretty, that's pretty uh, positive, but... Uh, uh, one of the areas that we want to look at tonight is that we are we are his. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. Is that Second Corinthians chapter six, verse number seventeen, verse number fifteen? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Uh, you're not your own. Well, he says, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are His. Or maybe I'm. Uh, bringing two scriptures First Corinthians six nineteen. Okay, what's it say? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, and in your spirit, which are God's. Then in Second Corinthians, he says, "Come out from among them." Is that six and seventeen? Six and fifteen. used to have yes, all this memorized. 2 Corinthians six seventeen. <clears throat> Therefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith God, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you unto myself, and ye shall be... And I will be a father unto you. you. And what else? You shall be my, my sons, sons and, and daughters. daughters. So there is, there is specific commandment of God that we separate ourselves from the world because he has purchased us, just like he purchased the nation of Israel from the slavery of, of Egypt. And and there are many things that we could talk about on this, and we'll get into a lot of this, Brother Mitchell and Brother Jeffrey, but it's it's very imperative that we, we uh, qualify this up front by saying we're covenant people. Uh, and so if you're not under the covenant with Jesus Christ, uh, we're not telling you that you have to live this way. Uh, it's like in my house, I had three children 
and there were specific rules that were set down by myself and my wife, and this is what was expected in our house. If you were not an elder child, uh, this was not expected of you. Now, if you come in the house, we still expected you to behave orderly and mannerly, but but you were not part of the inheritance. You were not part of the 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 genetics of the elder family. Or even if we were adopting someone, you were not part of the adoption. You were just a friend. You were just an acquaintance. You were somebody that came in to visit with us. But we didn't expect out of you what we expected out of each other as elders. Uh, the elder family. Not old people. Elder. The elder family. And so uh, there is a different expectation from God out of his children than out of those that are not his children. And let me put something to rest right now. So, well, we're all God's children. Yes, we are our God's children by Adam, but the first man, Adam's perishing. And so if you're still in the lineage of Adam, you're lost. You have to come into the lineage of Jesus Christ. And the only way that's accomplished, our first message of salvation, Brother Mitchell, Brother Jeffrey, Brother Jordan, is the message of salvation. That's where we first preach, come out from among them and be separate. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. That's where we first start. And then we go from there. One of the areas that I I, I really like that we're starting here tonight is understanding the uh, the role of our God and our submission to him and the, and the order of God, the order of creation, the order of submission. So, uh, uh, we want to talk about that. Have you ever wondered what's at the root of homelessness? I, used to try to describe it to my husband that um, I said, I feel like I'm in this big spider web and I'm stuck in there. And how wraparound approaches at missions aim to make a difference? It's the things like that. The people who communicated that in spite of my rough edges, that they authentically cared about me. On the Restorers podcast, we'll talk to experts, investigate current issues, share stories, and give you an inside look at how we at Water Street Mission tackle issues related to homelessness and poverty every single day. Join us by searching Restorers wherever you find your podcasts. Excuse me, it's interesting, Bishop. You just touched on something that's very foreign to the American mindset, and that is that you are not your own. The whole mindset of the United States is that you are your own. But when you step into the kingdom of God, while you do have free will, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. And so while the American mindset is built on this individualistic way of life, the scriptural mindset is built on the fact that you have a master. And that's something that people don't like today. Um, they don't want people to tell them what to do. They don't want, they very rarely even want their boss to tell them what to do at work. And their boss is usually paying them good money and telling them the right thing to do. 
But when you step into the kingdom of God, that God has the right to tell you what to do because you are stepping into his kingdom. And like Bishop said, you don't have to do what that God is telling you to do. But when you forfeit doing what that God tells you to do, then you forfeit the benefits of that kingdom. And the inheritance of that kingdom. So when the when the king says, um, through the apostle Paul, come out from among them, and you say, well, I don't want to come out from among them, that's fine. The king, this isn't a gospel of, of the fire and the sword. And so that king, yet, there is coming a time where the king will come back with the fire and sword. But right now he says, okay, you have free will. You can yeah. do what you want. And we live in his grace right now, not his judgment. Yes. But also, don't expect to get all the blessings of his kingdom if you refuse to live by the rules of his kingdom. So one of the biggest distinctions of this kingdom, so we're talking about distinctions one of the biggest distinctions is what you were talking about with the headship and one of the uh, most apparent signs of the headship of the Bible or another phrase that we would use as submission. One of the biggest signs of our submission is hair. Um, so to clear the air, the Bible teaches that men are to have short hair, and women are to have long hair. What do we mean by long hair? And we'll get into this, but the Bible means uncut, uncut. So I'm sure we'll go many different ways with this, but one thing that's interesting to me is that everyone wants to say, and we're going to go there, 1 Corinthians 11 is the primary teaching used, the primary chapter used when you're talking about hair. Everyone wants to say that 1 Corinthians 11 was written specifically to the Corinthian church and specifically for their culture. But, for instance... Well, before we go there, Brother Mitchell, let's get into it and let's establish what God says about identity. Because really... He's talking about authority and the order of authority, and one of the main ways that he's talking about authority and the order, which comes all the way from creation of authority, was our identity by the hair. And so let's talk about that, and then we'll get into how that there are, there are, uh, I'm going to use the word, it's a very strong word, but there are heresies regarding how that the enemy wants to take away that command of God and how that has caused massive issues in our world today. One other thing that you brought out, Brother Mitchell, just in passing, and we, and we really need to get back to what you said. I don't know if we can do it tonight because there's a lot to cover here. But <clears throat> talking about the, the, the innate resistance against obedience and submission which is the human nature because it's fallen and the bible says that that the carnal mind has an a innate from birth enmity against god it resists the order and the authority of god 
Secondly, because of the world that we live in, there has been a massive decaying and destruction and a deconstruction strategy of the devil and those that are used by the devil to destroy the family and and the order of the family the headship of the, they want to destroy the paternal order of the family today they they make a mockery of marriage they make a mockery of the marriage vows it's okay to live together and sadly there's churches where people are being used in ministry that aren't even married today and and then it goes to such an extreme, and that's one of the things we want to talk about, but I want to say this up front, that now there are people that consider themselves to be two men where they can marry a man with a man. Well, this is a direct violation of the Word of God. A woman with a woman, that's a direct violation of God. And now men trying to say that they can become a woman, which is a direct violation of God. And women saying that they can become a man just because they think they can't. Well, that's not only a violation of God, that's insanity. And so, but that's where this goes when we begin to mess with the order of God, when we begin to tear down the order of God and bring our natural enmity because of our fallen nature. It has to be brought into submission to God. That's what Paul was talking about when he said, take up your cross. Or Jesus, not Paul. But Paul said, I die daily. Because we have to bring our flesh into submission. And nobody wants to do that anymore. But that's a daily activity of a real Christian. And we have to bring constantly ourselves back into submission to God. One of those ways is in the order of authority. And that's why we chose this subject tonight. I'm assuming that's why we chose this subject tonight. Because if we're going to be right with God, we have to be in submission to him. The cross is not our enemy, but it has become the enemy to a lot of people that call themselves Christians today. For example, uh, Paul writes, and he said, I tell you now, even weeping, that they are, they're not the enemies of Christianity. That's not what he said. He said they are the enemies of the cross that comes with Christianity. They don't want to pick up their cross and follow him. They want a marketing product they want to be able to market something that makes you feel good. They want a narcotic. They don't want salvation. They want a narcotic to obscure and to hide the feelings, to numb the feelings, and to and and that does not heal anything. It just disguises the hurt and the pain and the dysfunction. And so uh, we're on a quest to see true healing, true completeness, true wholeness, and that's why we start here. In, and so go ahead, Brother Mitchell and Brother Jeffrey, let's get into this, and then we'll start dealing with some of those issues, Brother Mitchell, that you're talking about. Well, I was just pointing out that as we get into... First Corinthians, the first thing that Paul says at verse 1, he says, Be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. So his opening statement at, in this chapter is that he is going to help the church of Corinth to follow him 
as he is following Christ. So in essence, he's saying, do what I am telling you to do because I'm getting this from Christ. Um, and in 1 Corinthians 11, he's not going to just talk about hair. In fact, hair is the... It's not a peripheral thing, but it's actually just one of the points he's using to drive home what Bishop's been talking about, and that is submission, that is authority. Um, for instance, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it is there is a numerous amount of times that in this chapter, Paul is actually going to refer to the beginning of creation. And people want to say, well, you only need holiness inside. Well, respectfully, you should go read Genesis 1 again. The whole first chapter of the Bible is a chapter of separation. It's a chapter of distinctions. Light and darkness, water and land, male and female. And so in, in 1 Corinthians 11, the apostle begins to establish the order of God, and then Christ, and then the man, and then the woman. Um, and just as a as we're getting there, it's it's kind of, it would be humorous if it wasn't so serious in that it's salvific. But it's intriguing to me that everyone wants to throw out the par the portion where the Apostle Paul talked about hair, but they want to keep the portion where he talked about communion, which is in the same chapter. So if you're going to throw out the distinction of hair, you have to throw out the distinction of observing communion. You can't have one and the same. You can't say, well, here the Apostle Paul's talking about a cultural thing, but here the Apostle Paul's not talking about a cultural thing. Um, what's going on there is actually horrible exposition of the Scripture, and they're not staying in context of the Scripture. Either the whole chapter is for that culture, or the whole chapter is for the whole body of believers. And another interesting verse here. Before you move on, Brother Mitchell, I want to I want to speak to that because what you're saying right now, a lot of people come from that point in the fact where he says that you remember me in all things in verse number two and keep the ordinances. That word ordinances is used many other places in the New Testament as the word traditions. And so a lot of people will say, well, see there, that's where we understand that he was talking to, you know, the Corinthians in their traditions. And I actually have a book somewhere right here um, written by supposedly one of the greatest commentators of our generation and I hear people talking him up so much so I bought this book all excited to read it about talking about uh, women's roles in ministry and in the church and and the first chapter first Corinthians 11 and I'm all excited man this is going to be good and that's the first thing he starts saying is that this is traditionally written to the Corinthian church in their role or of, of society 
But I want to point something out when you when you say that. If you go to Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse number fifteen, it says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions, the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Okay, so that word traditions is the same word used in First Corinthians eleven, talking about the ordinances. Let me break so, in here. Hold your thought there, Jeffrey. Brother Jeffrey. It's the Greek word paradosis. And and they're being dishonest when they use it just as tradition because it is used not only as tradition, but it is used literally as an ordinance or as a precept of the church. And they're, they're dishonest because he uses that same thing, uh, that same word in a lot of what the, in their in their uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Their uh, liturgy, not their liturgy. That's their worship. But in their in their doctrines of salvation, many times that same word is used because it's used interchangeably. Yes, in their that's orthodoxy. The that's the point that I'm making. Is and that's just one one example. Um, I could pull up. Plenty of other examples. Even Jesus himself uses that word. And and so when they say that, you're exactly right. They're, they're misusing the word. They're being dishonest to the word. Another point to make out is you go to for chapter 14. And um, let me read it here for you. Because this is still within the context of what we are reading. Okay. Again, chapter 14, he talks about, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, which is what he's dealing with. A lot of the confusion within the church, the order of the woman uh, being used in the church. And he says, he says, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Okay, so when you try to go down that road and say, well, this is just written for 1 Corinthians. This is just written to the Corinthian church. Then you have to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and you have to delineate where's the point that he quits dealing with just the Corinthian church and now he's dealing with all of the churches. There is none because right here where you just use that, it says, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. And then you go down where he says, uh, judge in yourselves. Ex uh, hang on here. Uh, verse number 16. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom. Neither, Neither the, the churches church. of God. So he, it's very obvious. He's not just talking to the church at Corinth. He's talking to all of the churches yes. of God. Well, and it's not just because in First Corinthians 14, right around where, where Pastor Jeffrey is, the, Bible, uh, the apostle writes, the things, quoting, the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. So were those commandments just for Corinth? So this is the problem that you run into when you do what is called imposition or eisegesis, 
where you're imposing into the text what you want the text to say instead of exposition where you are exposing or drawing out of the text what is actually being said. They don't... (laughs) The bottom line is they want an excuse for men to have long hair and they want an excuse for women to be able to cut their hair and they're going they want to go to great lengths to make the bible say what they want it to say the apostle paul i'll give you an example he's not he's referencing genesis when he says this 11 and 14 doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. So what is he talking about? Is he talking about, well, you look around and you're going to see this animal and that animal? No. He's talking about the fact that what happens to most men as they age? They begin to lose their hair. This is a well-documented thing that happens in every culture and has happened for as long as men have been around. As men age, they begin to go bald. They begin to lose their hair. In fact, if you go to Leviticus, it actually talks about this. It talks about in places, the Bible says forehead bald. And then in other places, it says they're completely bald. This is in Leviticus. So to say that, well, 1 Corinthians is the only thing in the Bible that deals on hair, first of all, is being dishonest. It's either being woefully understudied, which is not a bad thing. It's just someone hasn't studied into it. Or it is someone being dishonest. Which obviously is a bad thing. Well, and and it's and it's quite obvious that if you take away these distinctions, you are taking away the order of headship. Because the Bible makes it very clear that if a man worships with his head covered, he is not in submission to his authority, which is Christ. And this is the important right. thing. Laying aside all, I'm, you know, we're already in the apologetics of this, which is important. But the important thing is to establish that this is a command of God. This is not Paul commanding this. He said, I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. And then he gets into worship. He gets into communion with God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered dishonoreth his head. Every woman that prayeth or prophesy with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all as if she were shaven. So it makes it very clear here that he's talking about the woman not cutting her hair and the man cutting his hair. And and so, uh, you know, now you can get in everything because there are legalists that want to get into this Say, okay, how long is long and how short is short? Well, and that's, well, in the woman, it's pretty easy. And the Bible says just no cutting your hair, period. Don't shave it, don't shear it, don't, don't do anything with it. With the man, you know, you can say, well, is it shoulder length? Is it, is it ear length? Is it whatever? Well, you know, you can get into those semantics, but when you begin to do that... <laughs> you began to push the limits. In this area, I like to refer to what Brother Larry Booker said when God came to Israel, and if you want to find that place, when the Lord came down to visit his children and he is going to establish the law with them, he was going to speak to them directly. He was going to talk to them out of the mountain. 
And the Bible says that the Lord specifically spoke to Moses and said, you put, you tell these children of Israel not to come together sexually as man and wife, not to allow animals to come into the mountain. Well, we live in mountainous country. Uh, right down the road from us is Pikes Peak. It's 14,390 feet high. It's the second highest peak in Colorado. Well, would you like to tell me where Pikes Peak begins to, to incline? Because uh, you're already climbing when you get 70 miles east of Pikes Peak. So you could set that boundary way out there. The important thing is that Moses is the one that set that boundary. God gave him permission. He said, Moses, you set the boundaries. And so the apostle sets the boundary. Men having their hair cut and women having their hair not cut, period. Not shorn, not cut. Doesn't have anything to do with American culture, Israeli culture, Chinese culture, African culture. Mexican culture, Cuban culture, none of that is an issue with God. The issue with God is this is my law, this is my ordinance, and this is how I'm going to identify a man. A man is going to have short hair, and a woman's going to have long hair. And people say, well, there's other differences. The man is the male, and he has the male organs of a man, and the woman's female, and she has a female. Yeah, but we're dressed. And, uh, uh, and, and the confusion gets from that. But the order of God is it's Christ, it's a man, and we know he's in submission to God because his hair is cut. And then we have the woman, and we know she's in submission to her husband because her hair is not cut. That is the order from the very beginning of creation. Brother Jeffrey and Brother Mitchell, you're welcome to break in any time comment on this. Are you driven by a desire to create change? Dive into From Passion to Purpose, where we unlock the stories of nonprofit trailblazers. Get inspired as leaders share invaluable tips and transformative tales that empower you to make a lasting impact in your community. Tune in and ignite your passion into purpose today. I just want to throw in there real quickly the scriptures that I referenced are in Le uh, Leviticus 13 where he's talking about the baldness. And there is hope because he says if you're bald, you're still clean. Thank God. So <laughs> if you start losing your hair, that doesn't mean you're unclean. Another interesting thing to me that they don't want to bring up is the, the correlation. So this is all about authority. This isn't even God just telling you you can or can't cut your hair. The Apostle Paul references back to creation because the angels were there. They watched God create man. They watched God create woman. So the angels understand and the demons were there. So the angels and the demons understand what a man is supposed to look like when he is in correct authority with God, when he's in correct alignment, and what a woman looks like when she is in correct alignment. And so... You also see the Apostle references when he talks about that a woman has power with the angels when she is in correct alignment. So what he's hinting at there is, listen, 
if you just want to go through the motions and 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 have a sentimental idea of a watered down Christianity, you can do whatever you want. But if you want to have the authority that God, if you want the promises of the kingdom, you have to do what the king is saying. And what the king is telling us in this chapter, Jesus is telling us, look, if you want to walk in the correct spiritual dominion spiritually that I want you to have, then you need to live your way in a life to where the angels and the devils understand the authority that you're in. So when you have people going around and you have a man with long hair going around, the, the demons understand you are not, you have no authority or power over them because you are not in the correct alignment with the one who gives authority. The Bible says all power, all power comes from God. So if you're not in the correct alignment with that power, then you have no power. The demons can do whatever they want to you. They can do whatever they want to your family. Let's talk about that, Brother Mitchell, because there are two words that I'm aware of, and I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm a Greek student, but I'm not a Greek scholar. Uh, the two main words for power in the New Testament is the Greek word dunamis, which means raw power. Uh, it's where we get the word dynamite in the, new, in the English word. And the second word is exousia. And we're in First Corinthians 11 and 10. It says, for this cause ought the woman to have power. And that word is exousia. It's delegated to her. She only gets that power on her head by delegation. So if she is out of order, she does not have that power. And, and I get, I, I see this and I become saddened when I watch uh, one of the things that's become very, very prevalent is you see young ladies that grew up in Pentecost and they get up on social media and they brag about how they've been liberated because now they can cut their hair and they can dress like a man and they can wear pants and they can wear shorts and they can show off their body. Uh, some of them really don't really need to show off their body says please just take my word i'm not trying to be insulting but you're better off you're a lot prettier when you're dressing godly and holy <clears throat> all of you but some of you especially because that's another part of that demonic lie is that uh you know by you exposing yourself you become more attractive to to men well, when you expose yourself, you become more attractive to the base nature of man, not the spiritual and the and the inspirational side of man. Be that as it may, when when this goes on, yeah, you're being set free. You've been turned loose. You no longer you're not under that authority anymore. But the other side is you don't have the delegated power that comes with that. You've just given up your rights with the angels and your identity with that side. You, and not only that, you're not only dishonoring God, you're dishonoring your husband. And that's the root of all of this. This is where uh, equal rights, and are not equal rights, but uh, women wanting to have the same uh, position in Feminism the order of and God, feminism. yeah, and that's even creeping into the apostolic world. And there are women that that actually have power with God. They have a ministry, but they they want to equalize themselves, and they'll use. I've heard several of them say, "Well, there's Greek 
words to prove this. Well, there's Greek words for hot dogs too, but that don't mean they're doctrinally right. And uh, uh, so, you know, you can tell my feelings about that. And I'm trying to be really tactful about this. But I want to tell you, this is a big deal when it comes to having power with God. This is a real big deal. Same way with men. When men grow their hair long, they dishonor their head, which is Christ. And 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 they lose that position and that. Uh, I've, I've watched men that try to have that position with God, and they are not in order with God. And anything that is not in God's order is rebellious to God's order. It may be a nice rebellion. It may not be an intentional rebellion, but it's still in rebellion to God's order. And so this is extremely important. Uh, I'm not. I'm just coming on right here on Instagram, and I'm saying, hey, don't brag about losing your delegated and your and the, the authority that God gave you, and don't brag about cutting your hair off, woman, and don't brag about growing your hair long, sir, uh, n- not for the fact that it makes someone angry, but for the fact that, that the devils are scoffing at you. They are laughing at you, sir. They are laughing at you, ma'am, as you make a mockery and throw away the very power against them that God has given you as you walk in his divine order and his divine authority. His authority is delegated to you. When we step out of that, then we lose it. A perfect example of that is actually not dealing with the demons, but is actually with the apostles. Um for instance, you see the apostles say we ought to obey God rather than man. And when the powers that be tell them what they are supposed to do, the apostles are perfectly within their right to disobey those powers because at that point, that power has stepped outside of what is right, the delegated power from God. So the minute that they violated the delegated power from God, the apostles said, you no longer have power to tell us what to do. And they went right back out and kept preaching the gospel. A flip example of this is when you see the 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 demons that attacked the sons of Sceva. Because they don't have authority. And that's what, that's what Satan can do to you at his whim. Then there's other ways to get out of the authority of God as well. Um, one of them is rebel against your pastor. That's a delegated authority. Anytime but, you rebel against any of God's order, it takes away that power. But when you specifically were talking about hair tonight, the distinction of a man having short hair and a woman having long hair or uncut hair, when you rebel against that, you're not you're not hurting the people you're rebelling against. It doesn't it doesn't hurt me. It doesn't affect my life whether you cut your hair or you don't. It affects your life. And when, like I said, when you choose to step outside of the bounds, and I've said this before on the podcast, we're all, if we're not careful, we always get stuck at the question, what do I have to do to be saved? No, that's the first question. Well, we're if you've already been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, you're past that question. You're a covenant child. At this point, what do I do to please the king? What do I do to stay in the kingdom? One thing you brought out, Brother Mitchell and Brother Jeffrey, is the Bible doesn't say long hair on a woman and short hair on a man. 
we assume that because it's a woman not cutting her hair. But there are different uh, times when a woman does not cut her hair, and it's not as long as other women have. She still has the glory of God. Uh, the, the issue, sister, is do not put scissors or shears. Don't touch it. Don't try to cut it. Don't try to take it. Let let it be God. Your hair is your glory, no matter if it's uh, four inches long or down to your waist or to your feet. Uh, different different uh, races uh, have different lengths and different styles of hair. That's actually God's beauty is the different way that he created us. The important thing is that we, we are in his order of of creation Christ the head man and the woman and and this is very uh, very important uh, the Bible makes it uh, clear in verse 11 nevertheless is the man without the woman neither the woman without the man in the Lord for as the woman is of the man even so is the man also by the woman but all things of God Judging yourself, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? That word comely there is extremely important. It actually means uh, to uh, to become. Uh, and I don't understand all of the context of the Greek. That, like I said, I'm a student. But uh, uh, judging yourself, is it becoming? Is it proper? I guess that would be the more uh, operative modern-day word, that a woman praying to God uncovered. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him. If a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, uh, we don't have a custom of arguing among the churches. We don't do that. We just obey the word of the Lord. We're his covenant children. We're not only subjects in this kingdom, but we are children of God. So there's something that we're really bouncing around in this discussion because it's in the text. But I think it's very important to bring out because in a lot of religious systems, they try to use this and uh, and again it's a it's it's pulling the it's pulling it out of context to use it so the bible here uses the word covered or uncovered um in this text uses that variation of the word eight times okay but you have to understand that there are two different greek words and a lot of people will use this in, in many different ways but i think it's disingenuous to the text um so verse number four every man praying or prophesying having his head covered dishonors his head verse five Every woman prayeth or prophesieth, having her head uncovered, dishonoreth uh, her head, for that is even as if she were shaven. So that's one distinction I want to make right there, Bishop, when you're talking about 
women worrying about or our godly ladies worrying about the fact, you know, well, my hair's not as long as sister so-and-so or because of their race or ethnicity, their hair doesn't grow as long as someone else. But Paul makes the distinction, both in verse 5 and 6, that the covering has to do with it not being shorn or shaven. Verse number 6, For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if that be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Again, twice in that verse, he uses the word covered. Verse number 7, For, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head. Verse number 13, judge yourselves, judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? And finally, number 15, verse number 15, but if a woman have long hair, it is a glory unto her for her hair. It's given to her for a covering. Well, um, I've even heard this, that people have said, well, if you read it even in different languages, it seems like it's very hard to understand, but we're reading it here even in the English, but we have to we have to take in consideration the original text and how Paul is writing this to them. So excuse my um, usage of the Greek word. I'm gonna read it just like a country boy from Colorado. If it's wrong, God bless you, go read it your way. But for the first usages from verse number four to verse number 13 the first usages are either the word catacalypto or a catacalypto okay um if that's the wrong way to say it then god bless you but that's okay i just said it that word is it, it literally means to veil up okay or that's why he's using the word covering. So then people will take that and say, well, then I can use uh, a veil or I can use a, a second covering as my covering. And, and even to the point where people will say, as long as I'm covered with a veil, then I can even cut my hair as a lady. Okay, well, if that's the way that we're going to use that, then... It's a shame for me to have this hat on, <laughs> okay, because that's that's the text there. But when you get to verse number 15, the word changes. Can, can you hold there for a minute, Jeff? That doctrine actually is a Martin Luther doctrine, which I don't know why apostolics embrace it. It is a doctrine of reformation. That was a statement made that Martin Luther made where he felt like for a woman to be in submission to God, she must have her head bailed. And, yep. uh, and they've, they've brought this over into the apostolic movement, but the Bible makes it very clear. Her veil is her hair. Her covering is well, her hair. Where, First Corinthians, that's, that's what, what you're talking about right now. Yeah. Verse number 15, <laughs> the word change. It's not catacalypto or however you want to say it, but it is now the word parabolion. Okay which is also used in Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 12, speaking directly about the veil, okay? And, he, and so Paul says here very distinctly, her hair is given her for the veil. That is your covering. 
So whether you want to use it in a sense of, you know, well, we need to be be sure and, and covered up. Or as many have used it, not just in the apostolic world, but in the religious world in general, they have used it for a justification to cut the hair because as long as they wear the veil or a hat yeah exactly so it's very distinct and and the reason i want to point that out is what we are talking about right here the sign of the of the authority in our lives is very distinct it's the hair it's not a hat it's not a veil it's not some other type of covering that is the order of authority in our lives and so when people would come to whoever and say, well, you know, you can, as long as you have a covering, you can cut your hair or, or it doesn't really deal with the hair. It's not talking about the hair. It's talking about a veil. All of these misconceptions that have come to the apostolic world and have led people down a road of compromise that is, is destroyed in what Paul is saying here, that that veil is your hair that is your covering you know brother jeffrey and brother mitchell where we pastor there are apostolic people that they take wearing a bell very serious my position as a pastor is a little bit different number one uh if you want to wear a veil i don't care just don't go around and start telling the ladies in this church that they're not saved if they don't wear a veil i don't care if you wear a veil but I do care if you're cutting your hair. Exactly. I do That's care the a point whole lot if you are cutting your hair and using right. the veil uh, for for a and and trying to use that as an excuse that that's your covering. I, that the the practice of the veil goes all the way back to Martin Luther in medieval times. It, actually, it's part of the Reformation, uh, which shows that the women had long hair. I'm not a huge fan of. Martin Luther, I'm not a huge fan of Calvin, but Calvin actually instituted an ordinance because the women were wearing their hair so high that he said it was immoral and ungodly. So he instituted a a a, a law in Geneva where they couldn't, well, to have that, that issue, they had to have long hair. And, and the point that is very, very ironic to me is that if you go look in in the actual tenets of the Lutheran Church, the Anglican Church, the Catholic Church, the Assembly of God, the Church of God, the Church of God in Christ, the PAW, the United Pentecostal Church, the WPF, Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship, uh, now all of these are not churches in aspect that in my According to Scripture, the only people that are saved are those that have repented, been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, and believe that Jesus is God and follow a life of separation from the world. But my my whole point is, is that all of the origins of these Christian movements in their original tenets had a standard of holiness. They have went away from it, and this is part of the Antichrist church. My dad told me this years ago. He said, you, you will see all of these churches that are doing away with their, their identity and they just become one big 
conglomerate of we all love Jesus, doctrine's not important. And I didn't see it back then, but I see it now because they are they are doing away with all of the vestige of the cross of Christ, the identity of Christianity, being Christians separate from the world, and 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 trying to bring in a one world church system. And and in this world, that's not that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for apostolic revival that's going to get us out of this world. We are not a kingdom now, uh, people. We are a, we have, we have a, a, a city whose builder and maker is God. Abraham talks about that. We know that's an Old Testament type, but we understand that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. And so our distinction of having a heavenly identity is very, very important to God. We are His children. We are not children of the world. I am not a world citizen. I'm sorry, all you apostolics that are running around saying you're a world citizen, I am not a world citizen. I am a heavenly citizen. Get your get your epistemology straight, brother. Get your epistemology straight, sister. We are not world citizens. This world is not our home. Our world is falling apart at the seams. That's why we're having the issues. That's why people are so distorted. That's why these that's why these apostolics are having they are having this problem in identity. What do they call that? It is uh, what's the what's no? It's when they do the gender stuff. It is a, it's a it's actually a it's a clinical term. They are having spiritual dysphoria. That is what is going on, and you are absolutely losing your mind, sister, when you get on Instagram. And you start bragging about how that you have lost your identity with Jesus Christ. It just grieves my heart because you are suffering spiritual dysphoria. Brother, you are suffering spiritual dysphoria. Uh, Brother Troll, you are suffering spiritual dysphoria. Uh, Trying to find ways to criticize the very... I'm sorry, Brother Jeffrey, go ahead. (laughs) Sorry. I just love being... 200 miles away. Yeah, me too. I hate it when you're not sitting right here with us. I do want to say something to that, Bishop. Well, that's what I want. What you're saying right now is is that, you know, the the spiritual dysphoria is, is that distinctions don't matter. We're all going to the same place anyway. It doesn't matter... Identity doesn't matter, you know, the, all these people saying, well, it's just denominationalism. Well, I'm, I realize there's a lot of denominations that have, have twisted the word of God and people are, 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 uh, they are upset with that, but there are still distinctions that have to be made. And so Paul, when he writes to Titus in the book of Titus, He says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. Now, so I thought to myself, okay, does does the acknowledgement of truth come after the godliness? That's not what that means. What, uh, What many commentaries would say 
including the great premier study Bible, the great commentary of the premier study Bible. It actually would say it like this. Uh, one says, according to the truth. So the acknowledging of truth is according, or I'm sorry, according to godliness. The acknowledging of truth is according to godliness. Another one says it like this. The acknowledging of the truth is it belongs to godliness. So the acknowledgement of truth in our life comes by the godliness. It's going to be shown in the godliness in our life. Now, obviously, we know that that word godliness speaks to holiness. Uh, to be like so, God. God-likeness is what that's really. Defined. Exactly. So, so all these people saying, well, I have truth. I have truth. I believe even people say, well, I'm an apostolic. I'm an apostolic. I just, I just don't go to church. Well, then you're not an apostolic. Well, I'm an apostolic. I just, I just don't believe we need to do that. Well, then you're not an apostolic. Don't tell me that you're an apostolic because what it means to be a Pentecostal apostolic is to be Pentecostal in experience. You have the day of Pentecost experience and they you are apostolic get, in your doctrine. They will get as mad at you, Jeffrey, as a transgender will get mad when you say, no, you're not a female exactly. or no, you're not a male. That's what I'm, well, that's what I'm trying to describe. And my heart is actually, an, I, I'm grieved. I, I'm saddened. Where in the world did it become uh, uh, anathema to live holy and godly? I mean, where did living ungodly, unrighteous become the popular thing for for God's people. Now I know in God's people that that's not really a deal, but I'm here to destroy trends that are taking place, are trying to take place. And I'm telling you, that's that's not what we want, apostolic young men and young ladies. We love our identity as Jesus Christ. We're not boastful, we're not proud, but I'll tell you this, we are passionate about it. We love it. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. And somebody says, well, you're taking that out of context. No, I'm not. The gospel is the whole truth, the whole counsel of God. That is the gospel. That is the eulogy. That is the good news of what all the salvation of Christ brought to us. In, in the same book, Brother Jeffrey the Bible tells us in the book of Titus chapter 2, that the, or Titus chapter 1, the grace of God hath appeared unto all men. When did the grace of God appear unto all men? Through Christ Jesus. He was the manifested grace of God. And what did he do? He taught us to deny ungodliness and unrighteousness and to live holy and godly and righteous in this present world. And that's what this is all about. And part of that is the identity and the order of a woman looking like a woman and a man looking like a man. Uh, we just dealt with the hair, but we're going to deal with the identity, the dress. The dress is extremely important. That's why we're having the, I hate to use the word gender because it was a pervert that, that coined that phrase. And, I, you know, hopefully I don't get kicked off of 
these platforms, but he really was. And how in the world did did we pick up that coin phrase and use it? Uh, it's actually the sexes is how the Bible talks about the male sex and the female sex, male and female. Let's use let's use biblical terminology here, and and this is where we get all messed up is when we begin to we begin to get out of the order of God, and then we begin to see the confusion. How did the Bible say it in the Old Testament? If a woman lie with a woman, it's confusion. If a man lie with a man, that's where the dysphoria comes from. If you're a woman and you're wanting to cut your hair off, there's dysphoria there. If you're a man and you're wanting to wear your hair long, I know I'm making you angry. I don't want to, but that's dysphoria. That is a misinterpretation of who you are and the power that you have with God. I'm actually on your side, my brother and my sister. Well, Bishop, you're stirring up a lot of preaching me right now because the first place that we see confusion in the Bible is the Tower of Babel. And that's what Babel means, confusion. And that confusion comes because uh, Nimrod has made it up in his mind that he's going to do it his way. Go, go read what he says. He said, I will, I will which incidentally enough is the same thing that Satan said in heaven before he became Satan when he was Lucifer. He said, I will. And, and, and Nimrod was going to succeed in his will. And God said, I'm going to go down and I'm going to see what this man is doing. Well, the Bible says when he goes down, he, he brings confusion by the language and then the Bible very distinctly says that this is where it was first called Babel or confusion. And so this confusion is brought about, is brought about by the, the stepping outside of the will of God in our will. I will. And these men and women that want to do it their way, which is what we're talking about tonight. Stepping outside of the authority. The head of the woman is the man. The head of the man is Christ. And the head of Christ is God. When you step outside of that alignment and that authority, you are stepping into confusion. And God is not the author of confusion. Mitch, you want to close this out? Well, DP Nation, we hope you have enjoyed this first episode of Distinctions. Um, as you can tell, we got quite a ways to go in highlighting the main distinctions between uh, the kingdom, the people of the kingdom of God, and the people of the kingdom of this world. So we pray this has blessed you. If it has, share it with somebody. Um, if you disagree, give us some feedback. We don't mind having discussion with you. This is not our purpose with this is to challenge you to make you think and to go beyond what your Google search brought up and to dig into the words of God, not into the words of another man, but to dig into the words of God and to see what he says. So if you disagree, we would love to open a discourse with you about this. And we're even open to Bible studies um, to to try and open open as 
as the Bible says, to open their understanding. He opened their understanding. So uh, if you liked it, drop a comment. If you didn't like it, drop a comment. Uh, Share it with somebody. We love you, and we'll catch you on the next one.